as recently as you know six months a year ago, people were saying, "Hey, inflation is really hot. You know, why aren't gold and silver going up?" And I said, "Well, they already went up to account for inflation. That's what happened in you know nineteen and in twenty twenty, um, and and you know the the metals tend to look around the corner." And uh, so what I think the metals are doing right now, technically you can see it in the charts. What I think the metals are doing right now is they are sniffing out the ultimate Fed pivot. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. As we continue our coverage of the gold and silver space, which has seen no shortage of exciting events recently. We're recording on Tuesday, December 13th, where gold and silver prices up quite a bit a day ahead of the Fed's announcement, which will be coming out on Wednesday. And interesting to see uh, CPI comes in just a tick or two below expectations and people are out there buying everything. So fortunately to dig into all of these events and the pricing. I'm joined by Lawrence Lepard of Equity Management Associates. So Lawrence, great to have you here today and try and make some sense out of everything yeah. that's going on. And how's everything going with you? Everything's great, Chris. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, appreciate you making some time. And certainly as we've seen quite a rally in gold and silver in these last couple of months of 2022, perhaps we can start there are you surprised that even with the Fed still hiking that, you know, we, we've gotten quite a ways from the lows in both gold and silver. And are you surprised at how much it's moved given where we still are? Or why don't we start? No, there? I'm really not. And I'm, and I'm kind of encouraged by it. I mean, we never knew when the move was going to come, but, you know, people always say, why are things happening? And, and, you know, in markets and, you know, as recently as, you know, six months, a year ago, people were saying, hey, inflation is really hot. You know, why aren't gold and silver going up? And I said, well, they already went up to account for inflation. That's what happened in, you know, 19 and, and 2020. Um, and, and you know, the, the metals tend to look around the corner. And uh, so what I think the metals are doing right now, technically, you can see it in the charts. What I think the metals are doing right now is they are sniffing out the ultimate Fed pivot, which, you know, won't be a, a hard pivot unless things really break. But it'll start off as being a soft pivot or, you know, that the rate hikes will slow down. And we already see that. Maybe they'll do 50 tomorrow. We don't know. Um, and then they will stop. And then, of course, as things start to break, they will eventually go the other way. And uh, I think ultimately they'll abandon QT and, and so on and so forth, because as we all know, you can't really taper a Ponzi. So um, and to me, what's going on is the metals are smelling it. And that's why they, they I think they hit their bottom for this cycle. And I think they're going up. Now, I could be wrong. Um, you know, there could be something that surprises me or us. And we have one more one more dip down to the lower levels of three, four months ago. But it feels to me like we put in a bottom that's going to last. It took two years to do it from the high uh, in the 2020 range. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty big correction. And they've come down significantly. And, of course, it's a higher low than the last time around. And, of course, as I've said in other podcasts, I mean, I think this is a big one because, when gold gets through the 2070 area, you know, when silver gets definitively to the through the $30 area, you know, they'll, they'll be in the gold case, not in the silver case, but in the gold case, it'll be at a new all-time high. And the silver case will be headed back to that $50 high. And uh, uh, that would be a breakout. And so I think we'll, we'll really get some momentum going there. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens when silver gets over 30. We've seen it touch right underneath that mark a couple of times in the last few years. And I continue to wonder many days if that's a bit of the line in the sand there. 
Although something else you mentioned in terms of seeing the markets break, I mean, we're watching some historic interest rate hikes that oh, yeah. we haven't seen this this pace before. Now, throughout that, we've seen trouble with the yen. We've seen trouble with the gilt market. Yep. We see banks teetering like Credit Suisse and, and people withdrawing their money. Are you surprised that we haven't, I don't want to say that we haven't seen a breakage in the markets because obviously real estate, stocks, bonds, all down quite a bit, but not something quite like 2008 just yet. Are you expecting that and surprised we haven't seen something like that already? That's a great question, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm a little surprised. I thought things might break a little more severely, a little more quickly, but they haven't. Um, you know, there's a lot of free money out there. It's still sloshing around. Um, but yeah, remember, this has been the worst year in bonds in, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 years or more. It's been a pretty bad year in stocks. It's very rare that both of those go down. Generally, if stocks go down, bonds go up and vice versa. So, um, you know, and, and we have seen cracks. I mean, the gilt market was a really big clue, in my opinion. Um, you know, the blowout in the Spanish or in the Italian yields was another one. Um, more recently, some recent cracks, you know, we saw uh, Blackstone gating their real estate fund um, and then Starwood followed suit. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see things break. I mean, the Fed's, the Fed's uh, remittance to the U.S. Treasury has gone deeply negative because, you know, they're paying out a lot of interest to hold the RRP money in place. And in turn, they're not getting as much interest income from their bond portfolio. Um, so, you know, we're seeing cracks and, and obviously the housing market has gone completely dead. I mean, interest rates, the mortgage interest rates are up probably the most in history and bouncing around 7% for a 30 year now. It used to be three. Um, you know, we've seen the new car housing or I mean, the new, uh, new car sales and car sales are down substantially. I think they were down 25% month on month. That's one of the biggest ever. So, you know, I, I like this phrase that, uh, Mohammed El Arian said, he said, you know, the Fed slammed on the brakes and the economy is in the process of going through the windshield, you know, and uh, but the process takes some time. And I compare it. It reminds me a lot of the 2007 and eight time frame when we all knew there was a housing bubble or many of us did. Not everybody, but a lot of us did. You kind of see it. And in the summer of 2007, two of the Bear Stearns uh, uh, funds blew up that were dealing in the real estate stuff. And 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 that was like the early warning sign. And of course, you know, Lehman didn't go bankrupt until September, October of 2008. So. So what is that, you know, 15 months later? Right. And the Fed started this rate hike cycle in February of this year, and they got really aggressive about it over the summer and the fall. So it, it takes some time for those things to flow in and through the economy. But I think the flow is taking place. And, um, you know, if you kind of assume the same similar amount of time from, you know, the, cha the, the change in conditions to it really becomes critical, you know, a year to 18 months seems realistic to me. So that would imply, I, I foresee that we're going to really, um, things are going to start to break and, and the Fed might have to pivot quite aggressively uh, in Q1 or Q2 of next year as, as you know, all the economic numbers start to go in the wrong direction. So that, that's kind of how I see it unfolding. I could be wrong. It could take longer. Uh, could happen short. I mean, it could happen tomorrow. You know, I mean, we, we don't really know. Um, you know, we obviously saw, you know, the crypto blow up and FTX. I mean, another good example of, you know, liquidity affecting speculative areas. Um, I read this morning that venture capital, there's a site called Forge. I read it uh, in Barron's that a site called Forge that um, keeps track of, of venture capital pricing. And uh, they make a secondary market in private equities that are done by venture capitalists. And the average discount off of the last round valuation for the, for the secondary market 
on venture capital deals right now is about 50%. So that means that all these unicorns that were getting, you know, valuations of a billion dollars a year or a year and a half ago, if you want to sell your stock in that, you're going to get a 50% haircut. And I think that'll get worse. So, so what we're seeing is, you know, the process of the monetary tide going out. And obviously the Fed had to do this for political reasons because inflation was, you know, scorching hot. And, you know, they'll get some decent inflation news. They'll redefine the target upward. You know, the suddenly unemployment and the health of the economy will become a bigger issue. And we'll be back at the printing press pretty quickly. Importantly, also, I think, Chris, is to look at the, um, you know, the budget deficit. Um, and Luke Grom has done a nice job of pointing this out. I mean, the TBAC, the Treasury um, uh, uh, report that comes out every quarter, talked about how the, the government is now projecting they're going to run a deficit of about, about a trillion three in the first six months of this coming year, you know, right? And, uh, and and I actually tweeted this yesterday. I mean, last year's deficit was $1.4 trillion as recorded. But in fact, the debt level went up like $2.2 trillion. So, um, you know, the government debts and increasing government debts. And, and if we have a recession, right? I mean, in fact, they're just... The November numbers just came out on uh, tax receipts. I tweeted this last night. The Wall Street Journal had it. The tax receipts were down, um, I think, 10%, and expenses were up about 6%. So, you know, if the economy is rolling over, as I think it is, government finances are going to get worse, which means they're going to have to sell more bonds, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of things, I mean, what I could say, I would say are cracks in the system starting to emerge, but there hasn't been a Lehman moment. Um, with the exception maybe of England, like Lehman, you know, England did have a Lehman moment. Um, and that to me is a preview of coming attractions, you know, <laughs> that, uh, others, others will have a similar moment. And for those who don't know, I mean, what happened over there is they, they announced tax cuts, uh, and they announced expending increases to cover electrical bills. And, you know, the, the pound started to fall very quickly and the guilt rates started to go up very quickly. And then basically the, the pension funds that had used something called liquidity-driven investing or liability-driven investing had, had levered themselves up. They couldn't handle the higher rates and they were close to going bankrupt if the government didn't bail them out. Of course, the government bailed them out. So the point is that, that everybody, absolutely everybody in this economy is out over their skis in terms of you know, free money. Um, and the money's not free anymore. And so, um, and I you know, totally understand why um, you know, the Fed had to do what they had to do. Um, and, you know, they're going to push this as far as they can. And then when, when this campaign is over and things are, you know, unemployment and the downturn become the bigger issue, even if inflation is somewhat hot, they'll have to go back to printing because they don't want to have a collapse. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, it certainly uh, is quite a corner that they're backed into. And, not really any easy exit there. Although something you mentioned there in the gilt market, and I'll pull that chart back up. We saw the yields rise pretty quickly up to about four and a half percent. And then the government stepped in. Are you surprised with the degree to which the yield has come back in today? We're at 3.27. And do you think that we've seen the end of that situation there? Yeah, I'm not a bond market expert, and I can't really say. I mean, it, they came back in a lot, and that's in part front-running. You know, they, they thought the government was going to support them. I mean, you know, the U.S. 10-year was over four, and it's come back in. I don't have it right in front of me today, but it's, um, I think it's in the three, you know, mid-threes. And, um, you know, I think what the longer bonds are starting to discount 
is um, that in fact the economy is going to slow down and inflation is going to slow down. Yeah, say so three point four six five, and it was it was up over four earlier this year, and so I, I think the bond market is actually now telling us that an economic slowdown is coming, um, and and maybe it's even believing that inflation is going to be somewhat subdued and under control. As you mentioned in the lead into the show, we got a soft inflation report today, not terribly soft, but a slightly soft. And, uh, you know, look, if, if the economy does slow down, there will be less demand for things, although it's tricky because China's opening back up again and, and you know, that, that will create a lot of demand for oil. And I looked at a copper chart recently and copper is looking pretty healthy. So on a chart basis, so there are a lot of moving pieces. I mean, I think the bottom line is that we are in a new inflationary environment and inflation will wax and wane, but we're not, we're never, in my opinion, we're never going back to 2%, zero to 2%. That's just not happening. I mean, you look at, you know, yesterday um, I retweeted this as well. The you know airline pilots just got, you know, basically an enormous pay increase through their union, you know, something like over 10% a year. And in some cases, as much as 20% a year, because there's a pilot shortage out there. And, you know, we saw the rail strike and, and you know, of course, the government had to step in to solve that. But, you know, the labor costs are growing very consistently at, at north of 5%, maybe approaching 6 or 7 And so, you know, with labor going up at 6 or 7%, how do you get to a 2% inflation rate? I, I can't see it. So, I mean, my, my view is what's going to happen here is the government's going to be forced to accept that, you know, inflation between 2 and 6% is kind of tolerable. And that, you know, they'll, they'll, and so there'll be times when there'll be more inflation hockey and trying to slow down the economy to, you know, kill demand and keep inflation under control. And there'll be other times when if the economy is really tanking and unemployment's high and people are screaming about how jobs are being lost, you know, they'll, they'll back off on the, on the inflation front and they'll, they'll try to, you know, they, they may pivot and print more money to, to try and keep things going. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a shit show of, of, um, I don't know, I, I call it kind of either economic whiplash or, you know, these guys driving this clown car where they, they hit the deflationary guardrail and, uh oh, too deflationary. Oh, my God, we got to print some money. And oh, then they hit the inflation guard. Oh, shit, we got way too much inflation. You know, we got to jack interest rates up. And, you know, it's it's I mean, what it shows is the folly of trying to set the cost of money, you know, as a result of government policy. I mean, this is when I was a kid, the big joke you know, was about the Russians and the Soviet Union and you know, they would they would set the price of grain. And if they set it wrong, they all starved. And if they set it too high, they had a, or too low, they had a grain surplus or too high. They had a grain surplus. So, right. you know, you can't the market is best at setting an interest rate. Interest rates, the price of money. It should be sent by balancing the supply of money, which is savings with the demand for money, which is the demand for investments. And of course, that's not what we've got. We've got a you know, we've got a Politburo, otherwise known as the Federal Reserve setting the prices and that just it's a mess it's a it's a complete mess i mean they they have shown that they've got a great ability to mess it up <laughs> so. yeah it's it's interesting you mentioned that because i think there's a whole generation of people that have not ever lived through something even remotely resembling a free market i mean we're seeing white yeah. house dictate the oil market now and yeah um Again, I, as you mentioned, just imagine if the price of money was set by the market and per perhaps, not, <laughs> perhaps not surprising that we're already hearing whispers of, oh, is 2% really the ideal inflation target? Or if we can get right. down to 2%, maybe it should have been higher all along. Which... Well, that's right. They, you know, they, they'll look, they'll, they'll, they'll jam the numbers to fit the narrative. And yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, 
this is not, you know, I mean, look, even even back when we were, you know, teenagers, I mean, there were wage and price controls. The government's always messed around in the markets. That's that's nothing particularly new. But but the level of messing around has gotten, you know, enormously larger, you know, ever since, uh, you know, the, the Fed became more activist. I guess it started in 87 when they created the plunge protection team. And, and it's it's yeah. only grown larger year by year by year. I mean. They bailed out LTCM. They bailed out the banks in 08. They, you know, they bailed out the world with COVID in 2020. I mean, the next, you know, they're trying to tighten the money supply and they're trying to shrink the balance sheet. And they're, they're, they are shrinking it, not quickly, but they are steadily shrinking the balance sheet. And when, you know, something breaks, and I believe something will break because you can't offer all the bonds that are being offered into the marketplace and find willing buyers at rates that are negative where the real yield is negative. So that my belief is that when something does break, um, you know, they'll have to come back with more money than ever. And that suddenly, yeah, there's the balance sheet. You can see it's coming down. Not a lot, but it's coming down. But, you know, they, the, um, you know, it, 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 the last print was what, $4 trillion, something like that. Uh, maybe five-ish, getting up towards that. And, uh, you know, the next print could probably be six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, I, you know, the Fed balance sheet is going to 30, 30 trillion, you know, easily you know, in the next five years, in my opinion, because without that, you know, we can't service our debts and and uh, interest rates are going to go to the moon. I mean, another chart that was widely circulated yesterday, I thought was an excellent chart. Sven Hendrick has it on his Twitter feed, was the, um, uh, the chart of, of U.S. Uh, government interest expense. You know, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a debt spiral, right? There's a, there's a vicious circle here that as interest rates go up, you know, the government being one of the largest debtors with 31 trillion of debt, pays more and more in interest. I mean, we're up to $750 billion a year in interest costs. It's almost the size of the defense budget. You know, three or four years ago, that number was in the two, 300 range. So, you know, it, as, as we borrow more and we push interest rates higher as a result of asking for too much money, not enough, you know, there's not enough supply to keep prices low, you know, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. So, um, a lot of us have identified this and, uh, it's why I think ultimately, you know, sound money, precious metals, you know, in my, you know, my belief to Bitcoin are, are going to are going to be very, very attractive investments in the next five year window, because the, the, these guys are mathematically trapped, as you alluded to. Yeah, it's quite a dynamic where you have the Fed tightening its uh, interest rates, but also removing some of the quantitative uh, easing balances. At the same yeah. time, you see China reducing their treasury holdings. We see Japan reducing their treasury holdings and you have a three and a half percent yield while inflation is still coming in at, at seven and a half percent, according to CPI, if one chooses to subscribe to that. And, and then on top of that, you mentioned we're going to, into a recession, tax receipts coming down. I know this is the unanswerable question, but when when does that all matter? It seems like it, <laughs> it keeps getting pushed out, but yeah, when do we reach that break point? And or perhaps, or even more importantly, let aside the timing, but what actually happens at some point when this just becomes too much? Well, I think the tech. I think you know this is where um, we kind of know what the trends are. We know what probably ought to happen. This is where I actually think technical analysis is pretty useful. You know, just looking at the charts, right? And so, you know, I think that when oil starts to go up again, um, you know, oil is kind of the master resource, it's nature's discount rate. 
um, when oil starts to go up again, when gold and silver take out the levels that we're talking about, you know, the 30 on silver, the 2070-ish level on gold, um, you know, when the bond market uh, stops, going, the long bond market stops going down. I mean, right now we're in kind of a deflationary impulse. Um, but, you know, as you showed, I think it's 10 years earlier, it looked like it was starting to curl up again. Um, you know, I, I think it's all going to matter. It's hard to say, Chris. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, um, handicapping these things on a time basis is extremely difficult. But I, in my, from my experience and having watched these things for 40 odd years, I kind of feel like it's going to definitely matter within a two year window. I mean, that's like, if, if, I'd be shocked if it takes more than two years for serious issues to emerge. And, and to be, to be more granular about it, I actually think it's going to matter a lot in the next six months. I mean, I think gold is going to take, I think gold and silver are going to take out those levels we talked about in Q1 of next year. And at that point, it's game on. Um, and then I think a lot, and, and, and in turn, I think this, the bear market rally that we're seeing in the stock market will eventually fail. You know, the stock market is living on hopium. I mean, they all think that we're going to have 7% earnings growth next year in the S&P. You know, really? I, you know, I just don't see how that's possible. And we're trading at a fairly, you know, elevated multiple of, of that. So, you know, um, higher interest rates, um, you know, uh, slumping demand, you know, a, a consumer that's very tapped out. I mean, we've all seen the savings charts. I mean, savings have gone down to zero. We've all seen the growth in credit cards. I mean, a lot of people right now are maintaining their lifestyle by putting things on their credit card, right? And and that's not cheap anymore either. I mean, there was a time when your credit card interest rate might have been in the lower to middle teens. I mean, as I understand it, I don't, I never carry a balance, but as I understand it, most those most credit cards are now up in the twenty plus, you know, percent, you know, annualized rate for people who are carrying a balance. So, you know, I, this is all. It takes time for these trends to, you know, manifest themselves, but but they will. And I, I think the place, you know, my dashboard, the things I watch, you know, I watch the price of gold, I watch the price of silver, I watch the yield on the 10-year, and I watch the U.S. stock market. And so I think the stock market will ultimately roll over, the yield on the U.S. 10-year will start to go higher, even though the economy is slowing down. People will realize, and even though inflation is theoretically coming down, people will realize it's not coming down enough to make, you know, a three and a half percent yield money good in terms of a real rate of return. And um, and I think in turn that and I think gold and silver, as we're seeing right now, are beginning to smell, you know, the deficits and the, the monetary debasement that the Fed will be forced into. I mean, I, you know, I think the thing that the thing that still kind of amazes me is that, you know, the Fed is able to tell these lies and people kind of, or, or tell lies, or they, I'm sure they think they're telling the truth, but, you know, and, and people kind of buy it. I mean, they say inflation's transitory, people buy it, right? They say, you know, we're going to be hawks and, you know, we're going we're gonna to get inflation back down to 2%. People believe it. And, you know, they're not going to get inflation back down to 2%. Even they probably know that. They're, gonna, they're acting like they are until they can drive these things lower. And then, you know, it, it really, it's a political organization. And so the issue here really becomes when is financial stability more important than inflation? And, you know, right now, financial stability seems to be okay. So they can continue to be kind of hawkish. But I think that's going to change. You know, I think that, and I think they're going to have a lot, there's going to be a lot of squawking. And, you know, like, like I say, I mean, you see it, the, the thing that's very interesting to me is that people are, people are starting to look for the exits. I mean, 
you know, this um, this closing, this gating of the Blackstone Real Estate Fund. And that's a big, you know, that's a big deal, in my opinion. And people have their money in there. It's private. You got to be wealthy to do it. And they think they're getting 8% rates of return. Well, you know, people at FTX think they thought they were getting 20% rates of return until they're not. And what happens when you go to take your money out? And that's that's really what this is. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a world. What Powell has created is kind of a worldwide margin call. And everybody's kind of saying, okay, well, what have I got? What's my money? Where is it? Is it really money good? You know, can I can I get it out if I need to get it out? And um, I think what people are going to see is that, you know, um, there's less money out there than they think. And in a tight money environment, we're, we're headed towards a place where cash is king. Now, you know, in my mind, there's, you know, there's, there's some debate about how hawkish Powell remains for how long. And that's, you know, we just don't know. I mean, tomorrow he could go 75. I mean, I, you know, I, I think part of what they wanted to do was get the stock market down. They're probably looking at the stock market's reaction today and thinking, oh, shit, that's not great. You know, so maybe maybe they go 75 tomorrow to try and wake the market up. I don't know. I mean, they could go 25. Who knows? But, um, you know, as you pointed out earlier, I think they will eventually, you know, and you've seen guys floating trial balloons. I think they will eventually kind of come to the conclusion, you know, 2 percent. Yeah. Why, why were we there? You know, maybe we can live with three or four as long as your wages are going up. Three or four percent inflation is not the worst thing in the world. And, and to be honest with you, you know, that's that's what they almost have to do. To get out of a debt trap. I mean, you can't, you know, with, with when you're too indebted, I mean, this is, how, this is what they did after World War II, right? And they had a huge debt after World War II, and they, it was called financial repression. They they literally did yield curve control. They capped the interest rate on the U.S., you know, bonds, and, you know, bondholders got screwed, but so be it, and, uh, and they grew their way out of it. You know, the GIs coming back, built houses and cars, and the economy grew, and, and they grew to the point where the debt level became much more realistic compared to the GDP. And that's what we need to have happen now. We need to, you know, the way to get out of this without a complete collapse is to run high inflation as much as, as painful as that is, is to run high inflation for a bunch of years, keep the economy going, you know, let the GDP grow and then the debt level relative to the GDP will go down. The difficulty is that the, the fly in the ointment this time is back then they weren't running huge budget deficits. Right. And now we are. If we weren't running huge budget deficits, that inflate your way out of the debt would actually be, you know, the inflation's painful, but it would be a strategy that would work. The problem is that in this environment right now, they've made too many promises and they're running huge budget deficits. And so it's very hard as much as they continue to inflate, the deficit continues to grow too. So it's a mess. It's a real mess. Yeah. And I guess the last question for you today, if you extend that out far enough, you mentioned the key difference between now and 1980. You didn't have such big debt loads, such big yeah. currency expansion. Do you think this is headed towards a reset? Is it possible to avoid that? Or is there some point where you have to do some sort of restructuring? Yeah, that's a great question. And and obviously none of us really know um, for sure. But there, look, it, it's you know, it's headed to one of a bunch of outcomes. It's, it's possibly headed to, you know, a depression, but I kind of doubt that. I, I don't think, I think that at the end of the day, all government actors will view high inflation as preferable to a complete financial collapse and a depression like the 30s. And so um, I think that, I think the question really becomes where on the inflation dial are we? Are we going to have 
you know, like an Argentina-like inflation, a Venezuela-like inflation, a complete collapse, um, you know, something lesser than both of those. I mean, who knows? They're going to try and skate by, you know, with high inflation until they get the debt under control. What they should do is they should do a structured monetary reset um, where they, you know, confess what they've done is wrong um, and then, you know, recreate a new currency backed by a sound, you know, alternative, sound money alternative. Um, but that's, you know, politicians aren't smart enough or forward looking enough to do that. So my guess is what they will do is they will try to tolerate a little bit of inflation. A little bit of inflation will become a lot of inflation. And then a lot of inflation might ultimately lead to kind of a catastrophe, you know, an almost a close to hyperinflationary like event or a very high inflation event that kind of resets things. Everyone says, well, they're going to push the CBDC down our throats. I don't think they're ready. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think, I don't think, you know, most of the people in the system, I don't think they're smart enough to really understand all these issues. So I think these, I think what's going to just happen is these issues are going to unfold and we're going to see how a democracy handles them. And um, my sense is a democracy is, is going to always vote, you know, to spend more money, print more money, dilute the money. And so that's why people listening to this, myself, you, others are, are so firm about you know, you've got to have money that the government doesn't control because it's almost a, a lock certain guarantee that the government's going to screw up the money. And I think what, what most people are missing is that, that you know, they've kind of done this in the past, but never to the degree they're doing it now. I mean, they did it in the 70s when they went off the gold standard, gold went from 35 to 800. But Volcker was able to come in with a high interest rate and, and bring things under control. But remember back then, that was 30% of, you know, government debt was 30% of GDP, right? Now debt is 130% of government GDP. Can't do that anymore. It's not going to work. So with that, with that as a backdrop, you know, they've, um, they've literally just got to print and, and, and as, you know, uh, I'm sure you know it and I'm, many of your listeners probably know, but Gresham's law is the, is the rule that says, you know, I mean, hyperinflations occur, right? When people realize that it is absolute certain government policy that they can never stop printing and increasing the money supply. When the when a quorum of the country realizes that, then something called Gresham's Law kicks in, which says that you know uh, bad money chases out good, which is to say people spend the bad money because they know it's losing their value. The minute they get it, they spend it. And Weimar, you know, they reset the prices every day. People get their salary, they'd immediately go spend it because they knew it was going to be worth less the next day. And in turn. Good money gets hoarded because everyone knows the good money will hold its value. You know, gold and silver are good money. Bitcoin is good money, in my opinion. So, um, you know, what's going to happen is that as a bigger and bigger piece of the population, I mean, those of us who are gold and silver bugs right now, we, you know, we, we may see this as obvious and we know it, we believe it, et cetera. We're a very small part of the population. I mean, I, you know, the most of the people I interact with, they think I'm nuts. <laughs> and, and most have no, I mean, they know there's an inflation problem. Don't get me wrong. Everyone's bitching about the inflation problem. They don't really understand what's causing it. And they don't necessarily understand the solution. Some do. I mean, more than more than five years ago do, but but still it's not a quorum of the country that sees it and sees that it's inevitable. Once it becomes obvious and then it becomes inevitable, it's going to be, you know, it will spread and, and it will spread and spread quickly. Um, and that's why, you know, I think that once gold gets through 2000, I mean, it could squirt up to 3000 quickly. Once silver gets through 50 bucks, it could go to 100 bucks quickly. And at that point in time, you know, you're going to see a mania. And it, as, as you know, if, if the government keeps taking actions the way they've been taking actions, 
and they're unable to control their spending and to and to you know maintain high interest rates um you know eventually they will enough people will have lost faith in the dollar that literally everybody will be the minute they get paid in dollars they'll be using it to buy gold or silver or bitcoin and you know and the dollar will fail you know and the euro will fail and everything will fail because people will realize i'm going to be impoverished if i hold if i have bonds dollar denominated bonds i'm going to be impoverished they they will not be worth what you know they'll be worth the face amount but you know who cares i mean if 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 gasoline's 100 dollars a gallon you know at, at the face amount of your bond you know you you've just lost 90% of your purchasing power because of the or more because of the you know the inflation that's taking place so th that's kind of how i see it unfolding but i think you know that kind of the gresham stuff kicking in i feel like that's probably 5 years away maybe a tad more i'm not sure but i i you know before before you get to, and if you look, if you study the hyperinflation, before they got to just where it all collapsed, where everybody realized it was doomed, the currency was doomed. And you look at Zimbabwe, you look at Venezuela, you look at Weimar, you look at and many of them. You know, before that happens, you get a period of very high inflation. And so we, you know, peak inflation this time, I think peaked around what, eight, nine percent? I mean, I, you know, the next, and we're kind of in a slightly in a down wave, we went down just a tad, right? Okay. The next up wave, my gut is, you know, we're going to see 12, 13, 14, 15, right? And it's like, oh shit, you know, we don't have this inflation thing under control at all, you know. And then, and then, then it, let's say you saw a twelve percent inflation print, and you're holding a U.S. government bond yielding four percent, you know, you're gonna say to yourself, "Fuck, this is ridiculous. I can't, you know, I can't, I gotta sell this thing." I mean, I mean, who's gonna buy that bond, right? And then the government's gonna say, "All right, um, we can't let these rates go up because if if our interest costs went up to twelve percent, twelve percent times thirty-one million, Holy shit! You know we'd have a four billion. You know we'd have we'd be owing four trillion dollars in interest every year, and we can't afford that. You know, I mean, you can see the death spiral that you're in, right? And so, so they're going to come in and say, well, we got to buy the bonds to hold the interest rate down because there's no demand for these bonds. Fine, they're going to buy the bonds. How are they going to do that? They're going to print money to buy the bonds. You see where I'm going here? I mean, this is all a circular. It's a circular problem that you know it it, it it matches Hemingway's great description of how he went bankrupt slowly and then all at once right I mean what, what will happen is we'll have higher inflation and higher inflation and higher inflation and then eventually you know just be out of control and everyone goes shit this money's worthless I'm out of here and that's Gresham's law and um you know that's I mean look and it hasn't happened yet it's hard to predict and I could be wrong um and everyone says oh yeah you've been saying that for 20 years and that's right I have and I've been wrong that doesn't mean that doesn't mean I'm always going to be wrong um, and, you know, I'm sure there are people saying this in Venezuela, Zimbabwe, other places, Weimar. And, you know, if you're early, you're wrong. But if you can kind of see where the trend is going, and as I say, there, there'll be telltale signs. I mean, you know, gold going through 2070, silver through $30, in my opinion, game on, you know, game on, right? We're, we're now at all time highs. And that means, you know, not a quorum, but that means a significant piece of the population has said, all right, I get it. You know, my money's being diluted. I want some money that can't be diluted. I, you can't print gold. You can't print silver, right? And so, so it's in my opinion, Chris, it's coming. It's coming, and it, you know that that'll happen maybe next year, and then that'll lead to much higher inflation and a lot of other things. And you know, eventually, will it'll be very clear, and and the rush will be quite large because you know, there's as I said, this is another call and other podcasts as well. Consider that there's about $450 trillion of financial stuff in the world. And by that, I mean bonds, cash, stocks, CDs, all the things that you would consider to be, you know, financial, you know, money or could be turned into money, you know, 
450 trillion total tradable total gold market is maybe 10 trillion but half of that's not tradable it's either on women's necks or it's in museums or you know it's owned by central banks about half of it's tradable so call it say four trillion dollars of tradable gold you know less than a trillion dollars of tradable silver there's no stockpile of silver right as you know you got a nice picture of silver behind you there um you know and and 300 300 billion dollars of bitcoin almost nothing you know rounding here so you know when that 450 says to themselves hey you know what um this stuff isn't holding its value i need to get some money that will hold its value that the government can't mess up that 450 is going to come chasing the four or five that you know represents sound money i mean think about it we don't need the whole 450 to come after us for our stuff to go up all we need i mean even if we even if only 10 percent of it came after us that'd be 40 trillion dollars tracing chasing a five trillion dollar market i mean that's 8x you know, an 8x appreciation in the price of the sound money thing. So, so the, you know, the point is, it, at the margin, I'm highly confident we are in the right stuff. And I think we just have to kind of sit back and watch it unfold. And, and it will unfold in our favor. But um, boy, it's been a long time coming and it's been slow. And, you know, anybody who's in it for a quick buck, you know, um, has probably given up on it by now, you know, but I've been at this, you know, since the 80s. And, I've been really bullish on gold and silver since 2000 and 2008. And, um, you know, it feels to me like it's it's definitely coming. I don't see anything. I mean, what would worry me? I, some of my investors, sometimes they ask me and say, hey, what would cause you to think your thesis is wrong? You know, that you're, you know, all right, here's, here's where my thesis is wrong. The government really decides to get disciplined. You know what I mean? They really decide to trim Social Security. I think we're means- safe there. Well, that's right. I mean, and of course, they always laugh when I say that. But, but no, but maybe they're not. I mean, maybe they're not. You know, maybe we're not. I mean, if if the U.S. federal government really got significant financial discipline, that that would that would change the tra- trajectory of what I'm talking about. And I don't think that's impossible, but I don't I don't rate it as the most likely case, given the political system that we live in. And I think most people listening might you know would probably agree with that, right? So, yeah, I, I I think it's unfortunate that we we almost giggle when we think about the government getting fiscal restraint. Yet, you know, you said you've been looking at this since the '80s, and we've seen which way things go, and it unfortunately doesn't look like we're headed in a much better direction now. And I think you nailed it earlier when you said there's a large portion of the mainstream that's still looking at the Fed and assuming they're going to be able to maneuver this thing down the racetrack, which Maybe it'll take uh, when inflation is at 12% to have more people question that. But either case, Lawrence, I sure appreciate everything you shared there. You laid things out quite clearly for people and um, perhaps not the ideal dynamic that we're. No, it's not. Look, this isn't what this is what any of us want to be going through and want to live through at this time in our lives. I know for me anyway, I'm 65. I'd like to be comfortably retired, not worrying about money and. Um, not worried about what's going on in the society and our and our system, but it is what it is. I mean, these are the cards we've dealt and we're, you know, we're dealt, and we got to figure out how to best play them. And I I do think that you know on the other side of this financial reset, which will occur when the money fails, as I kind of predict it will, um, that there will be a much better world, and we will restart if we if we get back to a sound money basis. Uh, a lot of the ills of our society, in my opinion, will be much easier to deal with. And uh, we will live in a, you know, it'll be better for our kids and our grandkids, which is, 
you know, kind of part of why I'm in the whole fight on this thing, because I just, I think we can't leave them this broken system that that's been created here and gotten worse and worse over the last 20 years. Yeah. I, th I think that is the positive to look forward to. And hopefully we do return to something like that and leave a little bit of a better system going forward, which unfortunately it took all this to perhaps get exactly day, well it is, it is what it is right uh you can't you know we, we all we can individually do is make our own best decisions and and you know decide what we're going to support and I, I i'm a strong believer in supporting sound money and i think i think people who support sound money will be financially rewarded for it but i also think that they can feel good about doing the right thing in terms of improving society so there's a twofer there right well, I hear you. And uh, Lawrence, before we wrap up, could you just let folks know where are the best places to find? Oh, you? thanks. Yeah, Chris. So uh, two it. things, as you know, I'm I'm a loudmouth on Twitter, <laughs> so I, I do a lot of shit posting. Uh, yeah, at Lawrence Lepard, and, and not the fake me. I'll never DM you asking you how your trade is going. <laughs> and, and sadly, I, I I wish they'd get these blue checkmark things sorted out because I wanna I want I get so many people are imitating me, but I'm a loudmouth on Twitter. And then I also run a fund um, that invests in gold and silver and Bitcoin. And uh, that fund can be found at EMA2, yeah, Equity Management. Uh, the ticker, the um, um, URL for this is EMA, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two, dot com. Uh, and there's a lot on there. I put my quarterly letters on there. We have a lot of research. It's all free. You can sign up for an email. Uh, we send out things when we get them. Uh, we'll never spam you. Um, and so, and people should feel free to reach out via either email or Twitter. Um, and I, I, I'm as responsive as I can be. I can't answer every inquiry, but I try to be responsive. People have questions and stuff. Well, I sure appreciate what you're doing out there and oh, not thanks, Chris. running your fund. Likewise, I, I, uh, I follow your site. I follow your work. I, I like what you guys are doing as well. So I, we're all in the same battle here. Well, just trying to shine some light on what's going on and we'll have the links to your Twitter and to the fund in the description field below and just uh, keep on doing what you're doing and we'll uh, we'll see how things unfold and we'll look forward to doing this again soon. Happy to do whatever you like. Thanks a lot for the, for the venue. Take care. Well, thank you to Lawrence for everything he shared there. And certainly as I was talking with him, interesting, anytime I hear about someone who's been studying this since the 80s or some people even before and seeing some of these things unfold in what often seems like slow motion. My entrance into gold and silver was in 2009 and certainly been an eventful 13 years for me. But anyway, great to get Lawrence's wide body of knowledge and insight into everything that he is seeing going on there. So do hope you found that one helpful at home. And before we wrap up, I would like to thank BlackRock Silver who brought us today's show. And as I mentioned last week, when we had Andrew Pollard on the show, BlackRock, which has primarily been exploring its Tonopah West project in Nevada, also did come back with a nice intercept at their Silver Cloud project, which is also in Nevada. And they had one drill result come back with 52.62 grams per ton gold and 606 grams per ton silver over one and a half meters in a new high-grade vein, which they have named Zeus, which I personally think is kind of cool. And fortunately, as I mentioned, we did catch up with Andrew Pollard of BlackRock, who was quite happy with the results and recorded a segment on the show last week. And to find out a little bit more about what they're doing at Silver Cloud, as well as a recap of what they've done throughout the year at Tonopah West, well, that video is coming your way now.